Welcome to Fintech Insider Focus in association with Visa. Our once little world of financial services is now a global superstar, and there are people everywhere opening up new markets and discovering new challenges like never before. In this strand of Fintech Insider, we take a burning question from financial services across the globe and really put it under the microscope with explainers, expert panels, and in-depth interviews, all to bring the global community into focus. This month, the question we're getting stuck into is, is the creator economy being underserved by traditional finance in the US? But firstly, what actually is a creator? A content creator is an any individual who curates content that resonates with a particular audience online. Now, most active content creators have a minimum of 1,000 followers on their primary social media channel. Thanks to new ways of monetizing creator content, many are able to earn a really good livelihood as part-time or full-time content creators, giving the rise of the new channels and mediums for content cropping up all of the time, whether that's TikTok or Twitch, uh, and many more in between as well. Now, this type of content helps creators by making it almost a unconventional generating revenue channel. And that really fuels the creator economy. It's definitely not going away anytime soon. And it's definitely set to grow given the numbers that we've seen. The creator economy tends to sit outside any other kind of economy or freelance work. Its closest relation is probably the gig economy, but it still doesn't share all similarities with that. The, the biggest difference is that individuals can be small businesses in themselves and their profiles and their content is their source of revenue and income. The very type of work these participants take part in, the way in which they get paid, all of these things vary dramatically and often leaves them underserved by traditional financial services, which are not really flexible enough for their needs. Current estimates think that there are about 50 million creators monetizing their content online right now, and that is generating $250 billion in revenue, with Goldman Sachs predicting an almost doubling of that value to $480 billion by the end of 2027. Now, yet despite the huge amount of money that's swirling around in this industry, only about 4% of global creators are deemed professional meaning that they pull in more than 100000 a year. This also means that there will just be normal people without accesses to, you know, agents or agencies or private banking or even basics like accountants or financial advisors, meaning they're often left really just to figure out their finances alone. And when income sources are a little bit precarious and in probably quite irregular in terms of the, the type of work, then traditional financial systems are often not offering them products or services or advice, for that matter, that they really critically need. In these next two focus episodes, we'll be joined by a panel of experts to break down the specific needs of creators and how traditional financial products often leave them underserved, but also looking at what could be done to make this better. We'll get into all of that after a quick word from our sponsors at Visa. Visa's FinTech Fast Track program is streamlining the onboarding process for FinTechs, enabling them to gain access to Visa's powerful capabilities and network. Visa and their enablement partners help FinTechs launch and scale cards, virtual credentials, and disbursement programs. To learn more, visit partner.visa.com. Looking to take your customer journeys to the next level and benchmark your products against the best in financial services, 
Well, look no further than 11FS Pulse. Home to over 5,700 user journeys covering everything from onboarding to crypto. It features analysis of global brands like Nubank, Revolut, and Robinhood. It's already tried and trusted by big names like Monzo, whose co-founder Jonas said their research phase took just a tenth of the time it normally would, thanks to 11FS Pulse. Join Monzo and hundreds of other brands taking their UX game to the next level by booking a demo today at 11fspulse.com forward slash demo. That's 11fspulse.com forward slash demo. Welcome back to Fintech Insider Focus. It is time to bring our panel of experts to really dig into the question, is the creator economy being underserved by traditional finance in the US? First off, we have my Fintech Insider Focus co-host for this month's episodes, Sophie Schulman, who is the global business development over at Visa. How's it going, Sophie? Thank you very much for joining us today. Doing well. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Uh, tell everybody a little bit more about your role at Visa. I mean, it's, uh, I always sort of say, uh, I mean, global business development, that's a hell of a job title. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my team leads global business development across Creator, which encompasses a number of different segments that includes social platforms and gaming platforms as some examples. So we work across product partnerships, of course, and marketing and several other functions to focus on sort of the specific challenges that creators in these sub-segments are facing, and specifically thinking about and then executing against how we leverage the Visa network and brand to support creators in all different facets. Very, very cool. I mean, we'll get into sort of what is the creator economy and creators more, because it's a huge spectrum in in that sense in terms of what that means, isn't it? But look forward to kind of unpicking that a little bit more as we uh, as we get going. Um, we're also joined by Natalie Babu, who is the founder of a company called Rella. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I was just joking before like we started recording. I mean, you're traveling, but you've traveled with a gigantic microphone, which tells me you're quite certainly a creator in this space. So you're well placed. But t- tell everybody a little bit more about Rella. Yeah. So Rella is a digital workspace for creators and their teams to manage their business and their content all in one place. So anywhere from planning content to keeping track of brand deals, all the way to keeping track of their revenue as well. So we want to be the entire backend workspace for creators. We launched last year and we have over 17,000 creators on the platform now. Very cool. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Nobody starts to become a creator because they want to deal with all the admin of running a business, right? But So you're sort of taking that pain away from them to, to make sure that actually they've got a, a business behind their passion, if that makes sense. Right. And I am a creator myself. So I had faced all of those problems and that's how I came up with the idea of Rella. And I realized a lot of creators don't like doing that either. So we wanted to simplify it and and just make it easier for them. Very, very cool. Well, welcome to the show. Last but by no means least, we're joined on Fintech Insider Focus by Gautam Goswami, who is the CEO over at Comment Sold. Welcome back to the show, Gautam. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, David? I love your background in the shoes. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of an obsession, but a, a pretty uh, pretty inoffensive one for people, isn't it? Sneakers. But uh, um, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, what's what do you guys do at uh, Common Sold? Well, Common Sold is uh, pretty much uh, America's largest live selling platform. So we provide live selling software to a variety of uh, people. So we started out actually helping mompreneurs, we call it who were at-home entrepreneurs selling fashion to their followers. And it turned out that by last year, we were doing a billion dollars in sales Wow! Uh, with 7,000 sellers. Our largest seller did over $50 million. Wow. She started out from her apartment five years ago, and now she's doing 50 plus million in sales. That inspired us to actually acquire Pop Shop Live uh, about three, four months back, and we just relaunched the platform. So basically, the, what Pop Shop Live is doing is we are taking the management of the business away from creators. So we are providing dropship architecture that will allow them to pick from over 10,000 fashion, home, and gadget products that they can sell directly on their own presence under their own umbrella, no referral links direct sales from their own profiles within PopShop Live, provide them their own e-commerce website in the back end for the ones that are large enough, provide them their own apps if they are that big that they want their own app, all structured in a way so all they do is sell. Samples are provided, they sell the product, they get the uh, invoices directly, we do the supply chain management and logistics, and they get paid. And that's where Sophie will come in because we are thinking of partnering with Visa to get them paid literally in two days using virtual Visa cards. So we're still working on that. But yeah, this is um, this is interesting because we are seeing massive interest from creators. Yeah, very cool. I love it when the producers absolutely crush it with the guests to talk about the subject matter. And, uh, and today they definitely have done that. So uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, before we dive in, I just want to remind everybody and all the listeners, uh, the views and opinions of the panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of their companies. As always, nothing anybody says should be taken as tax or financial legal advice. Uh, pretty much just telling you to do your own research, everybody. It's always a sensible place to go, isn't it? Uh, and with that said, maybe let's get into it. Um, Sophie, why is the creator economy uh, a space that Visa is particularly interested in? I know we've sort of heard from uh, Gautam and, and Natalie there, there's there's a huge spread of different types of uh, users in this sense. But why is this particularly something uh, of importance to you guys, and, and, and particularly, I guess, in the US? Yeah, uh, it's funny. You're not the first to ask. I think anytime I say what I do at Visa, people don't traditionally expect Visa plus creator to be in the same sentence. Creators are playing an increasingly important role in culture and in digital commerce and how people are sort of behaving online. So by our last account, there were more than 50 million creators. We think that there's many, many more than that, but that's what's reported, working at least full or part-time in this space. And they're becoming one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing at this point in time, type of small business. And so at Visa, we have a strong belief that small businesses are the foundation of the economy, and we have a long track record of supporting them through various programs and solutions. So creators are no exception to that, but are sort of different in their own right in, in many ways. So small businesses need our support now more than ever. We're still seeing a bit of that COVID tailwind, um, even as things sort of normalize. But as I said, this is fast growing and they're still navigating their way through the economic downturn. And so we 
we believe that, again, our brand can play a very important role through various different means, whether it be financial literacy or otherwise, as we'll get into through this talk. And then just sort of one other stat that really sort of brings this point home that I don't think many of the listeners would realize is social commerce. So the means of sort of transacting through these various different platforms with these types of creators is expected to reach $1.2 trillion, that's with a T, in 2025. That is a massive opportunity. The TAM continues to grow. We see more of these companies coming into the space every day, which makes my job very exciting and, and my team's work endless. So we've, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? As, and as you say, the, the sort of explosion of every different slice of interest or opportunity sort of expanding out is, is absolutely massive. I, I guess, you know, people get stuck on semantics quite often in terms of kind of what these things mean. But I mean, Natalie, coming to you on that one, I mean, creator economy, it's sort of a, a thing that's thrown around a lot. But what do we really mean by that? Yeah, so the creator economy is a very new term. I know when I started on social media, which was in 2011, the creator economy was not an existing term. Uh, the word influencer wasn't a word, creator wasn't a word. And I think it's evolved now that so many people are on social media making a living and are making a living by just creating content. And so I think that that's where it, it's, it's come from and it's become so big. But I actually agree with Sophie where the creator economy to me, I view it as a circle where it's creators at the top turning into business owners or small business owners slash founders. And then small business owners need to become creators in today's world. You have to be on social media. You have to be creating content for your business. Consumers also want to invest in businesses that they know the story or they see behind the scenes or they see how it's made. And so a lot of small business owners need to post on social media, even about themselves personally or about, you know, their, their business needs to have some brand identity aside from just graphics on Instagram. You have to have, you know, you have to kind of become a creator yourself. So I actually view it as circular, similar to what Sophie said was creators and business owners are going to become one and the same. And we're seeing that more and more as time continues on. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we made that point earlier on and we've had, um, We've had Gary Vaynerchuk on the show uh, a couple of times actually talking about exactly this thing. And it's like, actually, like that cycle of like the passion that you've got for the thing that you do and turning that into something you can actually generate income from is like, a, I mean, that's that's the that's the gift that keeps on giving, right? If you can be paid for something you love doing, that's the win, right? Mm -hmm. So, but, but how has that really sort of come about then? Do you, I mean, obviously, social media is a massive part in this, but but being influential in deciding for other people is is sort of a, that's not a new model, I guess, is it? Right. And I think it's a lot of creators and business owners as well are seeing social media as a tool to build their community, to build trust. It's more than just promotion. It's more than just, you know, sales and advertisement. It's a lot of building trust and actually speaking to your users, speaking to your customers, getting in front of them in a more personal way where before, if you had a brick and mortar store, you could do that by, you know, them walking in the store and having a great customer experience and getting to know them in your local town. But now you can actually have the opportunity to do that with people all over the world. You can, you know, really, you can message them, you can go on live streams, you can listen to podcasts and, and learn from them and see what they're about. And so I think community building is a lot more accessible now. And it's now I think it's more important than ever. And it's it's pretty critical, I think, if you're a business owner or a creator. 
Yeah, I mean that that point on authenticity, I think, is on uh, really on on target because it's 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 hard to in a world where most organizations marketing is very different from the reality of what they're doing it's difficult to uh, believe their marketing anymore but actually if you can be truly authentic with the content you're producing it it has a different level of cut through doesn't it but uh, Gautam, what do you think i mean the the creator economy i mean how do you see that uh, having come to the front i just have to repeat what natalie said and give examples of what she said she basically told you about what should be happening we actually built a business on that happening so basically what happened with Common Soul was we have this brick and mortar stores and small businesses that realize the power of social media. So our technology allows you to live stream on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and your own app and website at the same time. So we saw small businesses run by creator-like people, I would say, because they didn't turn up, they didn't want to be creators, right? But they became creators, like Natalie said. They started going live and they built this huge community. And the community is basically 25 million plus people right now on our platform. That's basically structured in a way so that they can reach them all the time beyond the algorithm, right? The thing with social commerce on social media is that there's two things that happen. One, it's all referral commerce most of the time. So the creators are referring sales all over the platform, whether it's LTK, whether it's Amazon, whether it is uh, Facebook stores, it's always referral commerce. What we did was we changed that referral commerce to direct commerce. So we were allowing these, these creators, this massive follower people to actually have live video streams and video clips that our AI creates automatically from the live video streams to become direct commerce points. And that has created massive communities, repeat sales, on an average, a consumer from one of our creators buys 12 to 24 times a year from them. So that's the real engagement. So we are seeing everything that Natalie just said happen in real life and growing like crazy. The other sort of trends that are happening here that really didn't exist, you know, the creator economy might need be a new word, but sort of I think the phenomenon has been around for a while and I think COVID just really accelerated that when people had a lot more time on their phones and in their homes and could pick up passion projects. But I think we're seeing new formats come to life. So, you know, short form videos, for example, didn't really exist five, 10 years ago in the way that they do now. Um, you're seeing more, as Gautam mentioned, discovery versus search-driven commerce. So very serendipitous type of shopping behaviors. People don't intend to buy, but they see something and buy it instantaneously. And then the, sort of the third is that what creators present is this opportunity for very niche-driven marketing, right? So I can identify 10 different ways and find 10 different creators to sort of align with what I'm looking for or, you know, my beliefs, right? Um, so you can get hyper-specific with if you're a brand or if you're a consumer, there's, there's kind of something there for everyone. Hmm. I mean, perversely as well, I mean, uh, in the market, there's almost an oversaturation of content right now. But actually, I mean, it almost appears that the people are almost willing to to pay for good content, you know, as opposed to get free bad content, right? So it does um, it does appear there's a, a real change in that. And, uh, and like I say, I mean, I've lived and breathed this one for the last eight years of my life. You know, 11FS, our company has been built around content, you know, and making that happen. This podcast has got you know, 22 million downloads or whatever ridiculous number it is now. So, you know, actually, I could not believe in this 
more strongly. Um, but equally, if I'd have told my dad 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, it was like, yeah, I'm going to just, uh, we won't do marketing. We'll just do like a load of content. I think he would have thought I was crazy, you know? So, um, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? And and bringing it to financial services. I mean, the the unique needs of a, of a, of a creator. I mean, try, try walking into your local branch uh, of, a, of a bank and going, uh, hi, I'd like a mortgage. And they're like, okay, well, what's your steady income of, uh, of revenue? And it's like, well, let me tell you, you know, like, so, I mean, there must be particular problems, Natalie, that actually creators face in this economy. Yeah, definitely. And I, I experienced it when I was actually, I had, I bought a house two years ago, three years ago, and it was harder for me to definitely, you know, get a loan for the house because I had to have so much proof of my income, even though I've been a creator for years. Similarly to when I had applied to get an rent an apartment, you know, you have to show your your pay stubs or if, if you're self-employed, you have to have two years of tax returns. And some creators are making money so quickly that two years ago, they weren't even on social media, but this year they might be hitting 500,000 or a million a year. And, and they don't have, you know, access to that capital or banks don't necessarily take them seriously. So that's definitely something that not only I've experienced, but I've seen other creators experience. And so I, I hope that now people are beginning to see creators as, you know, actual businesses and you don't have to have years and years of, of proof with that. But it's definitely something that's changing slowly, but hopefully it's it's moving forward. Yeah, I mean, Sophia, I mean, risk modeling in financial services is, uh, you know, a pretty slow moving industry, right? So, you know, that sort of catching up with this type of, you know, creator economy is is a challenge, I guess, right? Absolutely. The other factor that's at play here is that this is inherently a global economy that's at play, right? So we're focused on, I know on this podcast on the U.S., but really creators can be set, set up shop anywhere and their users and consumers can be anywhere. And so when you think about payments, and I think this is a trend that I've heard in many other podcasts too, payments is inherently a very localized business and how it's been set up infrastructurally, how banks think about managing risk, to your point. Um, So the second you start to look at how you send money, for example, across corridors, if a creator needs to be paid, right, and they're in Nigeria and someone's buying in the U.S., that starts to look really scary from an ecosystem risk perspective. Um, And so I think there's a lot of catching up that still needs to be done. Um, At Visa, we're really focused on the rails that can allow these funds to move faster at a guarantee effectively, right? So if I want to cash out to my debit card and I'm that creator that's in Nigeria, can I get that money in 30 minutes or less? Well, with Visa Direct and real-time money movement rails, we've allowed that to be possible. So that's an example of how we want to work with platforms who are enabling these capabilities where, you know, that wealth is being built. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? The the, the platform almost becomes a an SME platform more than it being a retail, you know, an individual banking platform. And I mean, everything Natalie said there around the the level of evidence that you have to produce is more like you're a you're a business. You're not an individual anymore, which is an interesting sort of point that intertwined nature of those finances. Uh, sorry, Gareth, I'm after you. I don't know. I was just going to add on to what Sophie said, which is basically look, we're we're trying to expand to global economies with our platform right, right now. And one of the biggest things will be payments because cross, cross-border payments as well as payments in multiple currencies 
especially when you focus on selling products in the US, but sourcing it from around the world is going to be quite a challenge. I also wanted to like kind of maybe like focus and, and discuss one more thing that is very important for me and we're looking at this. There's a huge concentration in the creator market right now. There are like Natalie said, the creators who are making a million dollars a year, but there is like millions of creators making less than 5,000 a year. And I think that the democratization needs to happen. Like one of the things that we are really focusing on with our new acquisition, PopShop Live, uh, it's popshop.live for you guys. Basically, what we are trying to do, David, is really trying to take out the problem of I am I can only get brand sponsorships when I'm big, when I've got a certain amount of followers. I can only get brand sponsorship and get invited to all the events when I have friends with all the big creators, right? We are trying to say, okay, you got 10,000 followers, you've got 20,000 followers, but they're real followers. They're really women who follow you are really like a sneaker head has a lot of sneaker followers. It's specific. We will give you the complete platform to go make money right now and grow with us and start making money on a consistent basis. And like uh, platforms like what Sophie is promoting right now will be critical because there'll be a lot of micropayments, but I think they will add up. Like I'm very passionate about democratizing this market because my wife was a creator. And, and, and she had lots of followings and this, she was like, her, her inbox was literally bombarded with offers constantly and she would not even look at anything. And then there's hundreds and hundreds of creators that have no offers and they're, they're ready to work hard to, to promote. So we need to work on that. I mean, that's an interesting point, isn't it? On, on you say sort of democratization, but I, I guess actually, you know, communities uh, and Natalie, you sort of touched on this, actually a, a community of highly concentrated uh, you know, followers is a incredibly powerful thing for any level of uh, subject matter or any level of niche, right? You know, um, uh, I said, I mean, we've done, you know, 20 odd million, 22 million downloads, but I mean, Joe Rogan will do that in one show, right? So, so actually it's one of those ones where, but yes, but does he have bank CEOs? Does he have, you know, CEOs, fintechs? And actually the, the nicheness of your audience and the, the engagement from your audience is actually way more important than the volume, isn't it? it particularly when you're talking about the uh, real strong community around something. So, I mean, how, how would an organization sort of go about doing that? Because you almost, um, every listener isn't equal in that, in that world, is it, Gautam? Yeah, so look, the thing is, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw a question out to you guys. So what do you think is the following of uh, a creator on my platform who has got who did $22 million last year in sales? What would be your estimate? Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Hundreds of thousands, at least, I would have thought, yeah. Yeah, 65,000 on Instagram and only 22,000 on TikTok. Wow. Yeah, but basically, um, she's gone beyond the algorithm. That's why she keeps on repeating. She's like, algorithm kills creators because the algorithm only promotes certain kind of content. And she literally, as soon as somebody joins in, transfers them over to her own app or onto PopShop Live, where she can has, there's no algorithm. She can reach every one of those 22,000 people. So that's a huge amount of reach of people who actually want to buy from her versus 2 million people, you only reach 20,000 at max at some point of time. So I think that that is the key because I think as creator economy evolves, we are going to see more concentrated what we call as change in intent um, a pl a platform. So platforms like PopShop Live and others like us, when somebody is coming to the platform, their intent is to purchase. So if you follow, if you follow someone on this platform, 
when I join, I want to do this thing. It's I want to be inspired. I want to get confirmation that what I'm seeing I love and I want to buy right then and there. It compacts the whole purchase process in place of, oh, I got inspired from this movie or this creator post. Then I've got to find out what the product is. Oh, it's mostly out of stock. Oh, it was the creator wore it like three months ago. So I see the post today. And then finally, I have to go find it on sale. But all of that happens instantly on some of these new platforms. So um, as, I, as I said to her earlier, what Natalie is doing is really, really important as well. And I think that Visa and us, like I'm really looking forward to their partnership, Sophie, in the next phase. It, um, it must be an interesting one. I mean, Sophie, you touched on payments a little bit, but I mean, I guess tax must be a bit of an interesting sort of speed bump for many creators as well because i mean when you when you're used to uh working as a as an individual and you know you get your paycheck you can spend your paycheck uh that isn't the same when you're kind of really operating as a small business right you've got to keep putting the a little bit of that aside to pay your taxes and uh and anything else that comes with that right so uh, tax must be a whole a whole complicated thing for creators yeah, I would love to hear Natalie's perspective on this. Uh, you probably see this more than we do at Viso because we're really involved specifically around the moment that the card is used or increasingly we're going b- beyond the card to bank account, for example. But I would say t- tangentially where the sort of hesitation with a lot of these platforms to get into banking services starts is what happens when there's a tax liability for, you know, got the mentioned um, sort of around demographics, right? So in gaming, for example, the users there are a lot younger, right? So if you're offering banking services and it's the first time they might be earning, right? How are you making sure that your platform is providing the right tools so that they understand the liabilities around the business that they're building without probably even realizing it, right? And that's where workplace platforms, like the the interfaces that Natalie and team are building are really important because a lot of these platforms see themselves as their core business, which might be, you know, providing being a software marketplace for publishers to provide games, for example. They're not tax platforms. So then the question becomes, okay, how are you going to make sure that the developers on your platform, if you're a gaming platform, to continue on that example, understand what they need to do and are getting access to those services to be able to continue to grow and use your platform? Yeah. And I, I we see a lot of creators actually looking for tax solutions, looking for, like they can keep track of their income and their revenue on Rella, which is great. And, you know, that can be sent over to an accountant and we're looking to integrate with QuickBooks in the future as well. But a lot of creators don't understand even how do they go about forming a business? Do they need to become an LLC? What? How much do they owe in taxes? What? What is a write-off and what can they expense? Because as a creator, if you're showing your whole entire life, is everything a write-off? You know, when you're when you're vlogging your your day-to-day life. So there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of gray areas that we've seen, and a lot of creators don't think about it until they start making 
a lot more money. And so by that point, they're kind of scrambling of, okay, how do I set up my business or even set this up as a business? And a lot of accountants we've seen are not that familiar in the creator space either. So even they have questions about it too. So I've, I've been seeing more and more accountants and um, people come up that are focused on creators specifically and, and treating them as small business owners, which I think that they should. But there's still so many gray areas and so many creators have no idea where to even begin when it comes to taxes. So that's why I really we're hoping to at least make like tracking your income um, a lot easier uh, because even that, like you're sending out invoices to a bunch of brands. Like the average creator works with around like five brands a month. So that's five separate invoices every single month. And, you know, that's 60 invoices a year that they're keeping track of. And is the, has the money come in yet? Have I gotten paid? The terms are, you know, net 60, net 30. You're not getting paid until 30 or 60 days later for a lot of these creators. So it's a lot to keep track of. And um, a lot of creators aren't, they, they don't think about it until, you know, they're making a lot more money when it's, I don't want to say it's too late, but like what they should have been thinking about it earlier. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I go back to the what I said at the top of the house. This is not tax advice. So everything in your life is not a tax write-off to everybody, just in case you were <laughs> thinking that. Um, but but it, I mean, do you, how much of that do you reckon then is down to almost like an education process? Because essentially, you know, getting people to understand those things. Again, you know, you go to work, you do your job, you get paid at the end of the month. But to your point on like, uh, you know, 60 day terms of payments for a, you might not see that money for a long period of time. Right. So, I mean, cash flow for a content creator, particularly with a lot of expensive you know, equipment or anything that goes with it. I mean, it can take you a while to get into the rhythm, can't it? Yeah. And so on Rella, we have an estimated payments tracker where you can see how much you're expected to make in the following month. So you can at least prepare a little bit more for that. But a lot of creators we see are it's so unknown. Like I've talked to a lot of brands and some brands have even told us that some creators don't even know how to send an invoice or they'll forget to invoice the, the brand. And then they're like, okay, where's my money? It's like, well, <laughs> you didn't send over an invoice or if, if you don't know how to send one. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is education. It's making sure creators understand that they need to treat themselves as businesses rather than just, I post on social media for fun. This is such a fun job. I'm, I'm, you know, building a community. I'm sure brands are approaching me to work with them, but how strategically are you thinking about yourself as a business rather than just someone that posts on social media? Because anyone can post on social media. How do you actually turn that into a profitable business? I want to pick up on a really important point that was brought up around unpredictability of the payment, which I think is kind of the root of the of the issue here, right? So why do creators go across multiple platforms to diversify revenue streams? Well, it's because it's it's hard to monetize on a single platform and it's hard to know there's the knowability of what you will make off of that platform is also really hard to determine. So you have to sort of hedge as a creator, right? Especially if this is your full-time job. And so what's what we're sort of seeing is this highly fragmented landscape across platforms where creators are earning to get access to these funds in near real time because that's what they need. They need access to cash flow immediately. And so the sort of result or the byproduct of that are these creative solutions around, you know, I know you're talking to CMAT Creative Juice, for example, and what she's building there, which is basically like a bank for creators to help them have visibility into this and to support cash flow. But that's all happening because these creators can't get their money quickly. 
if I could add on to that, like we we actually see this every day, David. Like one of the things that we see is two problems actually with taxes, sales tax and income tax, right? So we have created this payment solutions called PS Pay, like PSL Pay for Pop Shop and CS Pay. We allow the creators to say, okay, like we are going to take care of your sales tax if you want automatically. And if you even want, like if you want to know how much you need to deduct for your own taxes, we can help you with that. Right. It is optional. We're trying to provide the services. But you're absolutely right that this sales tax is another reason creators don't get into becoming a business because selling a product is even more complex than just paying income tax on what you receive from an invoice. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Like any SME, like any corporate business, I mean, cash flow is king, right? And actually being in a situation where you can manage that effectively, it feels like there's a whole uh, there's a whole slice of financial services for like invoice financing for creators to to help people kind of smooth those things together. But uh, we're rapidly running out of time. I mean, this is a, you know, a subject matter very close to my heart. I think we could talk for hours more on it, but may- maybe just to kind of wrap up then, uh, what really one key takeaway would you give, or, or one you know piece of advice? Given you guys have done this, you've got the experience for people who really want to get into the creator economy. Look, I mean, Natalie, like you said, there are people who love creating content for a subject matter, but but struggle to to go from that passion to a, a you know a, a, a business. So what what would be the advice you would give them? I think starting to treat yourself as a business as early as possible. So if you are starting out and you want to make this a business and you want to make this a career, you should have the systems in place from the beginning. So you know, using a backend management system to make sure everything is in one place and organized, getting setting up an well, talking to someone to see if you should set up an LLC, what what business structure you need to set up, making sure that you have banking in place that understands your needs as a creator. I think doing that from the beginning rather than all of a sudden making money and then having to backtrack and talk to all these people and import everything into a system, that can be a big headache. And so if you set it up from the beginning, not only will you save time, you'll save money and you will probably grow quicker as well. And stop the tax man coming and knocking on your door at some point as well, uh, which is good. Uh, Gantan, what do you reckon? What's the uh, what's the big piece of advice for, for creators trying to get into the game? Similar to Natalia, don't wait. Look at platforms like what we have built and other people are building, which will let you become a business right from the beginning. Don't wait till you start making money. 10,000 followers is big enough for you. If it's real following, you didn't buy those followers. And basically, there's platforms that have seen, we are, we are a platform that is trying to solve the entirety of it and not just trying to take advantage of you. Identify those and work with those. Very good. Sophie, what's your advice? Uh, how do people uh, make a success of this? I'll plus two on Natalie and Gautam, but yes, do your homework. We're actually trying to help a bit there because so if you think about Visa's position, we're many, many Bs away from the C. Gautam and Natalie are sort of the B to C part of this. But uh, what we want to do is bring all of these different sort of services points in the journey where a creator is going to need someone or some or some tool to help them together in one place. So think about it as almost like a directory where they can look up certified providers of different types of services like tax. So we were talking about it quite extensively um, or live streaming, for example, as Gautam's platform does at Comments Sold. And, and they can sort of get match made and they can also take 
classes, courses. Visa is actually also providing mentorship directly with creators through an application program. So we're, we want to get in front of these creators as much as possible because we sort of see all of these things coming together and where things are not necessarily coming together, but need some help. So that's really um, where I think folks should be spending their time to make sure that they're set up for success. Very, very cool. I mean, it sounds like um, through all the conversation, really, if you can figure out how you provide value to your community, you can probably derive some sort of value from that as well, which is a, a pretty good place to uh, to, to end the, the conversation. So that does wrap up this week's edition of Fintech Insider Focus in association with Visa. Thank you so much to the panel for joining me. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company? Sophie, maybe start with you. LinkedIn and the program I just mentioned will all be on the Visa Creator Program webpage. So if you just Google that, you'll find everything you need. And if you don't, you can always LinkedIn message me. Or if you do and you still want to talk, you can also LinkedIn message me. Very good. Gautam, where can people learn more about you and your company? For creators specifically, go to popshoplive.com. So P-O-P-S-H-O-P-L-I-V-E.com. Very, very cool. Natalie, where can people learn more? Yeah, you can go to getrella.com or you can find us on the App Store if you just search Rella. And then I'm at Natalie Barbu across all social media platforms. Very, very good. Uh, as for me, you can find me lurking predominantly on LinkedIn these days. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. Helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well. For more information on this discussion, look out for the next episode of Fintech Insider Focus in two weeks time. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bite-sized goes out every Friday at 11 a.m. so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.